Hello and welcome to the Otter Podcast. I'm your host, Madison Page, and today we are digging through Great Granny's Good China to find the fancy silverware that only the best guests get. The silverware that might have its origins in a strange eugenics cult obsessed with free love in a twisted way. Today on the Otter, we are talking about the Oneida community. Drape your napkin across your lap and keep those elbows off the table and let's go! Well, 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 if it isn't my lovely otters, how is everyone doing today? Are we all present, accounted for, and the correct version of ourselves? I hope everyone enjoyed last week's episode on doppelgangers, or I guess two weeks before that. I apologize for the short break. Life is not always patient and decided to hit me with several things at once. Luckily, most things are settled now, but I appreciate you waiting for me and hope you enjoyed some of our past episodes in the meantime. Of course, if you really enjoyed it, or if you didn't, please leave a rating and review. They really do help. For the returning listeners, welcome back. And for the new listeners, welcome, welcome to the Otter Podcast, where we are a trail mix of all things unknown, unsolved, and just plain odd. If you have an idea for an episode you think would be fun, good news, I do listener requests. So if you want your own personalized episode, you can send me an email at theotterpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and know what you want to hear from me. This is a good episode to do the dishes to because we are talking about the Oneida community. A cult turned silverware company started because of one awkward man's love of free love and obsession with perfectionism. We do have to slap a fat warning on this episode. Today's discussion of cult practices will delve into dimensions of sexual content, including the involvement of minors in the belief system that may be uncomfortable for some people to hear. Please know I will keep it as clean as I can, but this may not be manageable subject for everyone and it's okay to tap out. I will have an in-podcast warning if you still want to listen and just skip over that part. Those leaving now, thanks for stopping by and I'll see you again in a couple weeks. In other news, the Otter has just passed a thousand downloads and I am thrilled, titillated, and tickled pink. I cannot believe we are here. We made it. What a milestone. I'm so thankful for all the loyal listeners, all those that joined on, and even the new ones giving us a chance. Listening to my first episode makes me cringe. I've been able to keep learning and improving and making this show a delight for everyone, and I hope to keep learning and evolving. I cannot thank all of you who have left reviews, comments, emails, and likes. I am so proud of us, and I hope we keep going on and on. But enough of that, let's settle in for our episode on the Oneida community and its strange leader, John Humphrey Noyes. John Humphrey Noyes came into the world on a sunny September 3rd, 1811 to his father, John Noyes, and mother, Polly. His father was a man of many careers, including minister, teacher, businessman, and member of the House of Representatives in Vermont. His mother also had her finger in the political pie as she was the aunt to Rutherford B. Hayes, who would be the 19th president of the United States. Noyes' father was a successful businessman and due to his political aspirations was often traveling, leaving his mother to do the majority of child rearing as well as managing the household. Polly was a devout Calvinist. While it was noted that Noyes was particularly close to his mother, a key part of Calvinism is the practice of shaming children to encourage the breaking of their will. It was thought that the best way to ensnare a holy seat in salvation was to make sure your sons and daughters were filled with enough self-loathing and conformity to sink a ship. 
While this is something that would make most parents gag today, Polly really thought she was doing them the best favor she could. Noy seemed to follow his mother in her religious steps. When he was eight years old, he claimed to have had a spiritual awakening while at a revival camp with her. The present congregants felt the child was too young to claim this, but Noy's mother was thrilled to think her child was already so close to the Lord. As Noy's aged, he was noted to be shy and quiet. When he went away to a boarding school and at age nine, he wrote back to his mother about his homesickness and how much he missed her. This arrangement didn't last long as Noyes was soon withdrawn to be enrolled in an academy closer to home. When he graduated at 15, he was enrolled to attend Dartmouth College, his father's alma mater. Isn't that weird to say 15 and enrolling in college? This was a normal practice though at the time. Noyes flourished in Dartmouth, but was still painfully shy. This did not mean he was without want, as his journals at the time reflected almost obsession with women, and friends in the school would later speak of his preoccupation with sex. Noyes would never act upon these urges, though, due to the lingering shame from his childhood, and remained, as he claims, a virgin till marriage. He believed himself too unattractive to interest women, and when faced with interactions with them would become too bashful and tongue-tied to make an impression. He graduated from Dartmouth at age 20 and at first showed interest in practicing law. However, this focus soon shifted when Noyes experienced a religious conversion after coming across the teachings of Charles Grandison Finney and the Second Great Awakening. This was a Protestant religious movement and its followers believed that Christ would be returning after a thousand years and it was up to them to purify the world in his image. Noyes was so moved by this that he dropped law and enrolled at Andover Theological Seminary in order to become a preacher. Noyes would not remain in Andover though, and would instead enroll in Yale in 1832 with the excuse that he wanted more time for Bible study. It was at Yale that Noyes not only engaged in daily lectures, preaching practice, and Bible study hall, but also helped found one of the first anti-slavery societies in the United States. Noyes once again flourished in academia. It was in his second year that he felt he had made a major theological discovery. Noyes had been rigorously trying to determine the date of the second coming of Christ, as the Second Great Awakening had predicted. However, he came to believe that it had in fact already occurred in 70 AD. Noyes then recognized that because Christ had already had his return trip, we were all now living in the time of peace and prosperity. This revelation led to Noyes becoming obsessed with the idea of sin and salvation in the new age. He would have heated debates with classmates that unless man was completely free of sin, he could not be considered a Christian, and his claims to Christianity were a lie. Noyes began speaking of perfectionism. Christian perfectionism was an idea advocated by Charles Grandison Finney. It claimed that it was possible for someone to become completely free of sin. Noyes took his teachings to mean that because he had surrendered his will to God, everything he chose to do was perfect because his choices came from a perfect heart. His theory centered on the belief that man had an independent will because of God, and that this independent will in fact came from God, therefore rendering it divine. So while man may claim to be making his own decisions, he was in fact only making the choices that God had already chosen for him. Noyes further proclaimed that, quote, It was impossible for the church to compel man to obey the law of God and to send him to internal damnation for his failure to do so. 
Noyes became fanatical about this. He claimed that, quote, his new relationship to God canceled out his obligation to obey traditional moral standards and the normal laws of society. He began to act on whatever impulses he felt, and on February 20th, 1834, he declared himself perfect and free from sin. He claimed no actions he committed were wrong, and he could no longer sin thanks to his new, higher relationship with the Lord. His claims angered his college, and the preaching license he had just been awarded by them was quickly stripped away, and he was expelled from Yale. Noyes traveled to Putney, Virginia, and was not slowed by this retracted preaching license. He claimed he did not need it to spread the word and began to build a community. Calling it the Putney Bible School, it was started in the 1836 as a commune for those who wished to follow in Noyes' perfectionism teaching. In 1838, Noyes married Harriet Holton, and while originally they practiced a traditional Christian marriage, this soon changed. In the first six years of their marriage, Harriet would become pregnant and give birth five times. However, only one child would survive infancy. Noise became preoccupied with what this could mean. Noise began investigating what sexual intercourse and marriage actually meant and became infatuated with the idea of complex marriage and male continence. These would become grounding ideals for his future cult. Complex marriage is a form of free love, coined by Noyes. Its followers believe that every man was married to every woman, with no traditional marriage structure. This allowed any member to freely have sex with any other who consented. To be possessive of your partner or try to have an exclusive relationship was heavily frowned upon. Noyes justified this by pointing out that there was no passage in the Bible that talked about marriage in heaven. Since Noyes and his followers were trying to purify and make a replica of heaven on earth as part of their teachings, marriage could also not exist on earth in the traditional sense. However, sex at this time was mostly seen as a vehicle for producing progeny. The cult did not have the money to raise children, and the women were buffed that while the men may be enjoying sex freely, the women would soon be saddled with near-constant pregnancy. This led Noyes to further develop his teachings and practice, and he came up with propagative love, amative love, and male continence. Noyes reasoned that people engaged in a roll around the hay for two reasons. The first was amative love, which was sex purely for the joy of expressing intimacy with your partner. Propagative love was sex for the purpose of having children. In order to prevent propagative love, when the members wanted to express amative love, Noyes began teaching on male continence. Male continence is the practice of the male partner avoiding ejaculation. Two partners would engage in the act of love up until the point of completion, then the male would stop himself. Two partners would engage in the act of love up until the point right before completion, and then the male would stop himself. Noise coached that this showed a man's ability to control himself. Furthermore, Noise apparently found propagative love as exhausting and disgusting, but placed amative love on the same level as other normal social behavior. He preached that men should be content with the intimacy of the act without completion unless trying to have a child. Noyes did believe that women had the right to choose if and when to bear a child, and this was quite the controversial belief to have at the time. It was also believed that while the men had to pump the brakes, the women had no such restriction, and in fact a partner who did not satisfy his companion was openly mocked and regarded as low. Now, listen, some of you might think, hey, not such a bad guy. Listen, it's gonna get worse. Prepare yourselves, we aren't there yet. Anyway, back to Noyes and his wife Harriet. 
After Noyes solidified his beliefs in complex marriage, he approached an early convert and his wife and brought them into the teachings. The two couples moved in together in a common house and practiced free love. Noyes spent the next few years developing his ideas of male continence and began converting several men and women into his commune. This continued through 1847 until October when Noyes was indicted for adulterous fornication before escaping Virginia and taking his converts to New York where in 1848, the Oneida community would officially establish itself. The Oneida community would flourish in New York under the direction of noise. Although the community would only ever reach a max number of 300 followers, it was still quite prolific in its perfectionist teachings and practices. Noise would continue to preach that Jesus had already come, and therefore his followers were able to live completely without sin by recreating heaven on earth. This, of course, included his practice of complex marriage and male continence, as well as mutual criticism and stripiculture. Mutual criticism was a belief that Noyes brought over from Calvinism. In order to improve a person's spirituality, any member was subject to group hazings of personality or character traits that were found lacking. Basically, imagine being asked to stand in front of a room full of your peers silently while they hurled what they perceived as your faults in the hopes that you could improve after being dressed down in a sense. As an introvert, it sounds horrific. Stripiculture was a whole nother beast. Remember when I said I was gonna, it was gonna get worse? Get ready to get uncomfy. If you need to script this portion, it can be triggering to some, so feel free. I'll give you a moment. Okay. As the Oneida community began to grow and make money through manufacturing leather travel bags, weaving palm frond hats, and constructions of furniture, Noyes began to look more closely at the acts of his commune. While originally they could not afford to have and care for children, this was no longer a concern. However, Noyes became concerned about the specific children being born into the group. You see, Noyes had added a specific clarification to go along with his practice of male continence. Noyes had always believed that the traditional Christian marriage model left young people sexually starved from puberty until the age of marriage. However, young men who were not yet trained in the act of male continence posed the problem of causing unwanted pregnancy. Noyes' solution to this was to pair young men with older women who had passed menopause in order to teach them how to practice male continence. Likewise, young women were paired with older men who had experience in this. It should be noted that most of the virgin girls' first sexual partners was Noise himself. Feel icky? Gets worse. Noise then decided that they should be more selective about who was allowed to produce progeny and began his own eugenics experiment, which he called stripiculture. This experiment lasted from 1869 to 1879 and resulted in the controlled conception and birth of 58 children. Noise sought to create more spiritually and physically perfect offspring. Community members who wanted to have a child had to go before a committee to be approved, and were then matched based on spiritual and moral qualities. 53 women and 38 men participated, and of the children born, 9 were fathered by Noyes alone. The group even constructed a separate area of the communal house called the Children's Wing, where the children would go, usually around the age of 1. The children were all raised communally and thought to be children of everyone. To have favoritism or love for your child was seen as a major blight. The children were kept in the wing from age 2 to 12 and kept on a strict schedule. They started the day by dressing, then prayers, breakfast, work, school, lunch, work, playtime, supper, prayer, and study. The children were supported and both girls and boys were encouraged to pursue education and enroll in college. 
While many inside the community felt it was functioning well, those on the outside were not as enthusiastic. The community's unorthodox marriage and sexual practices brought heavy criticism. In 1870, Dr. John B. Ellis wrote a book against the free love communities that had popped up following Oneida. Dr. Ellis believed their goal was to end marriage and attack morality. Noyes waited a full four years to respond to Ellis's book with a pamphlet in which he denounced Ellis as a fake and someone who was made up by the press to profit off the sensationalism. Noyes loved his community and defended it openly, but that didn't protect him. In 1879, a commune member advised Noyes that he was about to be arrested for statutory rape. The practice of young men and young women engaging in sexual acts, usually at the onset of puberty, with much older members including Noyes, had reached the ears of those outside, and they were not pleased. In the middle of the night, Noyes fled Oneida and took refuge in Ontario, Canada. He wrote back to the commune and advised them that they should abandon the complex marriage system and settle into more traditional unions. The commune aggrieved and formally dissolved. However, this would leave many members with no money and no place to go. And the commune had thrived in various trades and practices, so even though they could no longer be married as a community, they saw no reason to stop working together. They converted into a joint stock company on January 1st, 1881. Oneida Community Limited was one of the earliest joint stock companies in the United States, and the former members of the cult all became shareholders. Noise would never return to the United States. He would settle in Ontario in the Niagara Falls area, and some of his most loyal would even move up there to join him. He remained a powerful influence over Oneida, and followers would write to him for advice. In one instance, a woman wrote to him asking which of her two suitors she should accept. Noise responded that she should leave, both of them, and instead marry a separate follower, the one who had originally tipped him off, who was more than 20 years her senior. Because she held Noyes in such high regard, she did exactly as he said. Noyes would die on April 13, 1886. His body was returned to Oneida to be buried on the property. And unlike with most cults, Oneida continued on without him. In 1899, they began to produce silver-plated cutlery and marketed their productions under the moniker Community Plate. During the First World War, they shifted to produce ammunition clips, lead-plated gas shells, combat knives, and surgical instruments, and in the second, they made army trucks, aircraft survival kits, and even jet engine parts. This endeared them to Americans, and their sort of past as a cult was quickly swept away. The flatware was so well received by the eight oh, Jesus. The flatware was so well received that by 1980s, Oneida was making at least half of all the flatware purchased in the United States. They would buy out other companies and absorb them into the mass. The company has continued to grow and change over the years, but it's still a major manufacturer of silverware. In fact, it is completely likely that you have something in your kitchen that they made. From perfectionism to male continence to silverware, the Oneida community is one of the most prolific cults you've probably never heard of. Starting as one man's means to understand his own religious beliefs and ending in a company worth over a billion dollars, it is a far cry from most cults you'll see. There are several first-person accounts that have been published by those who lived and were born in it, if you'd like more one-on-one -on -one material, and you can go on a guided tour of their communal house in New York. You can even stay the night. This cult was by no means perfect and had its major strangeness, but it's one of the few that openly allows others to take a peek inside, and I think that's an important opportunity to take. One of the things we always try to do with cults is understand their whys, understand their hows, and the Oneida community is happy to feed us that on a silver spoon.
Well, that's all for this episode. So what do you think? Do you think Noise was just a creep? Would you have bought into free love? Does male continence make sense to you? Let us know what you think on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and leave a review. The Otter Pod is on TikTok. Come follow us there. Have a suggestion for the show? Send me an email at theotterpod at gmail.com with your request and whether you'd like me to mention your name, your alias, or nothing at all. Remember, this is the otter side, so give me something cool, creepy, or confusing to deep dive for you. If you like the show, leave us a review. They really help. I know I could have added more cutlery puns. I just know it. The Otter Podcast posts every other Thursday. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on The Otter Side. Otter Side.